Thank you for the prayer, Jonathan. Appreciate that. And uh, I realized when I came up here while we were singing the chorus of uh, how much I miss leading singing and uh, just seeing the expressions of people as they worship through song. Uh, that's uh, a blessing to just see you worshiping the Lord that way. I just personally want to thank the uh, youth sponsors and the youth for last night. Um, so I was encouraged. I was blessed and really enjoyed the evening a lot. My One of the people that, I, that we brought on the way home, uh, he said, uh, uh, is there, uh, this is the first year they were there. And they just couldn't get done telling how much they enjoyed it. They said, is, is, is there any way to get our name on for next year? <laughs> I said, we'll make sure that your name is on for next year, Lord willing. And, uh, yeah, so just appreciate that. Well, greetings this morning, and just want to thank you for being here. And uh, just want to invite you back to take a look at the 11th Statement of Faith that I've been preaching through, the Statements of Faith as a basis of the text and also want to using the uh, Matthew 5 chapter 5 through 7 some verses out of there this is the third from last statement of, of the, uh, the the uh, the statement of faith and uh, I've chosen the the title as the guiding principles that enhance human relationships whether we like it or not we uh Part of the creation design involves humanity. And uh, we happen to be on the same planet, Earth, uh, with other human beings. And, of course, this calls for relationships. Hopefully that was another meteorite hitting. Um... I also want to propose to you that some of the teachings that we find in the uh, <clears throat> passage of Scripture that we know of as the Sermon on the Mount are some of the hardest-hitting words that Jesus spoke. And uh, if we take these teachings, these words to heart, I mean, I, honestly, it just really hits me between the eyes as I read them. And uh, this, this is really practical living. This is good instruction for practical living. Uh, they're, they're very important words. But before we go into the passage of, uh, of our text, I would like to just go back, and it's also written on the back of the bulletin, and the statement of faith that we have is in regards to human relations. It reads like this, We believe that the teachings of Jesus Christ are the standard for the believer in human relations. Christians should refrain from the use of force and violence, but rather love all people as God's image bearers. Since our lives are to be transparent, we should employ no oath. We are called to honor all those in authority over us and to obey them when it does not violate biblical principles. According to Washington Times, the 10 top most ridiculous lawsuits in, 19, or, uh, in 2012 are as follows. And I'm going to start from the 10th to the 1st. The first one is that an intoxicated Florida driver pleads guilty to manslaughter and then sues the victim. The ninth one. 
A woman files a $5 million lawsuit for the leftover gas still in her repossessed car. A 13-year-old little leaguer is sued by a spectator who gets hit by a baseball. I hope he gets a dollar. No, I don't. A maximum security inmate who went to jail with five teeth sues the prison for dental problems. Number six, bush beer is sued when a long neck bottle is used as a weapon in a bar fight. A National Football League fan sues the Dallas Cowboys over a hot bench. I guess they need to come sit in Chicago where it's a little cooler. Number four, a California restauranter is sued for Disabilities Act violations in a parking lot he does not own. Number three, a Colorado man wins seven million dollars blaming his illness on inhaling microwave popcorn fumes. Don't buy popcorn to put in a microwave. Wow. Some people's kids. <laughs> Two, a $1.7 billion suit claims the city of Santa Monica, California's wireless parking meters causes health problems. And number one, are you ready? Here we go. San Francisco Bay Area parents sues a school after their son was kicked out of an honor roll class for cheating. Friends, to be very honest with you, when I read these lawsuits, or when I read them, I vacillated somewhere between humor and absolute disgust. Humor at the sheer ridiculousness of it <laughs> and the absurdity of, like I said, some people's kids, and disgust at the irresponsibility and twisted morality of, hum of humanity. And right alongside of that is also the, the, the disgust at our failing judicial system. You know, they are also largely to blame for even considering I think these kinds of claims are suits. Now, I'm telling you, I'm the first one to say that I have my own failures at human relationships. I regret my own selfish responses and self-protection that has caused more than one friendship to dissolve. And, uh, or at least left a bad taste in, in somebody's mouth. And I regret that. I wish I could go back and replay some of those experiences and apply some of the principles that I feel like I've learned about interpersonal relationships over the years. And I'm convinced if I would do so, the outcome would be different. Take, for instance, the time early in my working career when I was a young and cocky foreman for a construction company. I had a good crew of workers that were, that were part of my work team and, and we could put out work. Now this takes us back in the mid 80s when we were building one house after another 
And I remember one house in particular that was a fairly large home. And we started from ground zero. And in three and a half days, we had trusses on that home. And uh, we were, we were humping it. We were hitting it hard. And by the way, this was before the days of lulls and skid loaders on the job. You know, everything would have to be heaved up by hand, including the trusses. And uh, we, were, we were going hard. The only problem was that, that the company that I worked for had hired a salesman just sometime before that that I did not care for. In fact, uh, I didn't care for his, his work philosophy. I didn't care for his ethics. And he just rubbed me the wrong way. And uh, he was picked up from another company that had just uh, gone through a, uh, a uh, bankruptcy. And I felt my space being infringed upon. Now, even though we were, what I felt, just busting our tails to, to work as hard and as fast as we can, I remember that one Friday afternoon when he pulled me into the office and he looked me in the eye and he says, James, he said, you know what, we, we just got to go faster and we got to go faster and faster. I could just feel my blood coming up through my neck. And I thought, the nerve of you. And we had just finished. I mean, that afternoon, we had set the trusses on that house. You know what my solution was? After seven years of working at that company, I said, I'll just go find another job. That was the way I dealt with it. That'll teach him. But the trouble was, that company just kept on going. Another young, capable young man stepped into the responsibility of foreman and kept building homes. And I went from the frying pan into the fire. Now, I'm not going to go into that whole issue, but my, my circumstances did not improve all that much. In fact, in some ways, it got worse. God has a way of humbling a proud heart. You see, my issue was not the other person. My issue was me, not the salesman. It was I who had the problem. It was, it was I who had the wrong attitude. I was the proud person. And I'll tell you, pride is the burr in the saddle in relationships. If you want to destroy a relationship, allow pride to permeate your life. And you're well on the way. Little wonder that we needed the instructions of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 to give us some life direction how to develop interpersonal relationships, knowing how to get along with one another. He knew I needed it, and I'm pretty confident, pretty sure, that I'm not alone in this. You might well imagine we can only skim the top of this, these passages of Scripture, or the, these, these uh, chapters here in Matthew. But I want to highlight some of the guiding principles that Jesus laid out for us in how we relate to our fellow man. By the way, these principles apply whether it's brother to brother or brother to an unbeliever. It applies straight across. I found ten principles that transcends all human relationships. Ten principles, and I may have missed some others, but at least we'll start with these ten. 
10 guiding relational tips that we want to look at. And by the way, I've split them up this morning. I was intending to do all 10 of them, but as I really went into it, uh, you know, I, rather than keeping you late, I'm just going to look at about four of them today, and then we'll wrap up with the other uh, six later on. First one we'll look at is found in Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are you when they shall revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we can look at these verses and say, well, that's in the context of persecution in the face of Christianity. Yeah, I agree with you. But it can also be, uh, what I, the, the area I guess that I really want to sort of pick out on is where it says, where they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. This is, this, these are times, these are situations that can really cause relationships to crumble. So I'm going to look at the first tip. Tip number one that we get from these verses here. Understand that tough relationships are temporal and are for my character development. The reason I'm comfortable sharing a personal experience with you, and I have many others that I could share with you, not that I'm proud of, but certainly as my hall of shame, is because we have all failed in human relationships. I'm confident of that. In fact, he who is without guilt, let him cast the first stone. Unfortunately, broken relationships are a part of life. We've all experienced them to some degree or others, some greater than others. But if we're all honest, I think we would admit that we've failed at some point or another. What is pertinent, I think, for us to understand is that when we are in these situations, is that God does not want to waste the experience. When you're in a relationship with someone a tough relationship with someone, realize that God does not want to waste that experience. That's so unlike me. When I have someone in my life who has failed me or inflicted pain in my life, my carnal nature just wants to walk away from that person and that situation and just sort of leave them behind. That's my tendency. But I've found that whenever that is my response, God has a way to orchestrate other events that teach me whatever lesson I did not learn through that experience. You see, God is out to develop my character. He wants to improve my character. He wants to make me more godly. And so he's, he, he puts me in strategic places and in situations with people. Now listen, he puts me in situations with people who are going to call out some of the greatest areas of need in my life. He knows the areas even better than I do, the areas that I need improved on. Sometimes I'm not even aware of some of the areas that need improvement. And so he, in his gentle way, <laughs> what seems cruel to us, puts us in a situation up against other people who are going to call out <laughs> those needs in our lives. I go back to my situation with the salesman. That was my life that I disliked. 
God knew I needed a Dave Melching in my life to get rid of that cocky attitude that was permeating my life. I was a proud man. I had a lot of life answers for that morning experience that I had. And it didn't, uh, I didn't learn the lesson well. And so he put me in another situation that only increased my discomfort. And as I look back into my hall of shame, relationships, I can see precisely why God put me with the individuals that he did. His or her character, whether it was godly or ungodly, is exactly what I needed to become more Christ-like. By the way, the previous verses at the partial list, at least a partial list, of the things that God values in a character. Someone who is poor in spirit. Someone who knows how to mourn. Mourning for our own sins, our own, our own areas of need. Someone who is meek. Someone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Someone who is merciful. Who is pure in heart. Someone who is a peacemaker. And someone who, who is persecuted for righteousness sake. These are the things that God values. And my question is, is this you? Is this me? And if it isn't, then God will give you plenty of opportunity to develop those values by placing just the right person in your life to call that out from you. So, the first tip is to understand that relationships are temporary, tough relationships are temporary, but they're also there to call out character in our lives. The second passage of Scripture that I find in chapter 5, and 22, where it says, You have heard that it is said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Reka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. The tip that I see in these verses is that we should check for levels of retained anger in our heart. When you feel yourself bumping up, when you continue to bump up against strained relationships, check to see what of grudge into that person. Maybe it's in, rela in relation to another person, another individual, but check to see what kind of grudge you are carrying. Feelings harbored in the heart affects a response at every level. The word anger here is, uh, sorry, yeah. The word anger here ha has the idea of a, a, a settled anger, something that is at home in your heart. It's, it's sort of placed there and it just sort of stays there. Malice that is nursed inwardly. 
That's the word anger. Now, there are two kinds of, of responses, angry responses. One is what I would refer to as a volcanic response in which the irrational rage will spit and spew and cast a, a volley of words and actions that leaves the other person with little doubt about how you feel. Little care is thought or thought is given behind the other person. It's all about me and how I feel and how I've been wounded at, a, at, at the heat of emotion. It's all about me. It's, it's, it's what I'm feeling right now. I don't care how you receive what I'm saying, but this is how I'm feeling. They leave in their wake. These individuals leave in their wake individuals who are crushed by the words that they've just been told. They live by the motto, get out of the way because the freight train is coming through. You probably know where that phrase comes from. Oh, by the way, by the way, <laughs> Mennonites don't get angry or go into a rage. We just get upset. We're just upset. Yeah, which is not near as bad as the person who is so out of control that he would actually kill somebody. We wouldn't even think of killing somebody. It didn't even cross our mind. Yet somehow, we can cut and slash with our words, and, and which kills the relationship and certainly wounds the heart dies within the individual of another person when those words are cut and slashed at you. And somehow, we feel justified how is it possible? Let's read the, the, the passage again. Especially verse 22. But I say to you. See, Jesus is comparing. He said in the, Old, in the Old Testament, you know, what really mattered is whether you murdered somebody or not. But, but, I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, shall be in danger of the council, shall be in danger of hell fire. Wow. That's pretty hard hitting. Name it for what it is and deal with it. Let's not gloss it over with just being upset. Murder begins in the heart and treat it like sin because that's what it is. Now there's a second kind of angry response, and that's what I would refer to as the pressure cooker response. And this is in which the attitude is cool and calculated. Verbal bullets are not shot at each other, but we wait for the right moment to sabotage our perpetrator. We're waiting with clenched teeth and clenched heart. We seethe and we brew for days, sometimes years, waiting and hoping for the time that our adversary will receive full payment for his or her actions. Now, unfortunately, these types of people will often tend to absorb their offense silently while growing more bitter and more resentful at the individual and at the world around them. 
Both of these types of responses have dire consequences that affect body, soul, and spirit. I am convinced that many of the physical problems we have today center around a heart that is full of, bit, 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 blah, 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 full of bitterness, if I can say it correctly. Um, heart issues and other kinds of symptoms, high blood pressure, and on and on. And I'm not saying just because you have these, you, you have anger, or, or, but I'm, I am convinced that our body, our soul, and our spirit are tied so closely together and, and we treat the symptom with, with medication and we never deal with what is actually causing the problem. And uh, I guess I would just put that out there, even for myself. Certainly we know that our rationale, the way we think, the way we process, and our emotions are tied very closely. And, and, and we also know that our spirit is affected by that. How well and how close we grow in our relationship to Jesus can be hampered. I've seen it happen over and over, repeatedly. I've seen it happen. Many times, the responses to a wrong, to, a, to an offense, is more sinful than the original uh, offense. You've seen it happen. When somebody does something wrong to somebody, the response to that wrong is often more sinful than the original offense. And by the way, the pressure cooker response is equally as selfish and as sinful as the volcanic response because it's all about me and all about my wound. An angry response begets an angry response. That's why we have the instruction, James chapter 1, verse 19. So then... My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. If I would have just applied that principle in my life in the past, I would have eliminated a lot of heartache for myself and for other individuals. There's a third one <clears throat> that we want to look at. Third passage is found in verse 23 and 26. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officers and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out there Till you have paid the last penny. If people would just piece of instruction alone, a vast majority of the offenses and broken relationships would be resolved almost immediately. One should make peace as soon as possible because enemies are, cap are capable of doing great damage. Even if the other person is clearly in the wrong, from my perspective, from my eyes, even if the other person is clearly in the wrong, I'm convinced that my motives have been right, my motives have been pure. The other person has the, has the issue. Even in that situation, be vulnerable enough to, re or to risk reconciliation 
Now also be aware that Satan is going to give you every reason not to go. But mind the Lord, mind the Holy Spirit as he prompts you to do so. I take special note <clears throat> that the scripture says, if your brother has something against you. In other words, you may not feel that you have legitimately violated your brother or sister. But if you are aware that they harbor an, an offense against you, you are still obligated to go and try to resolve that issue. You may feel completely vindicated of the offense. You still have an obligation. Now this takes humility. It takes grace to offer an unpretentious and sincere apology for any intentional or even unintentional offense, but it is certainly the right thing to do. The other thing I would just like to say, <clears throat> that if you go and when you go, remember to be very specific. <clears throat> Don't go and say something like this. I want to apologize if I've offended you about something. Probably won't get very far. I think a better response would be, you know what, brother? I'm not sure if my perception is right or not, but I've been sensing like there may be something between us. I'm not quite sure if it's this situation that I said or done or if there's something else. And maybe there's nothing. I don't know, but I'm here to open myself up to you. And if there is, I would just like for you to speak into my life. And it invites the other person to be honest. Now, he may not be honest with you or she may not be honest with you. And if that's the case, then that rests with them. But you have done your part in trying to have somebody, uh, a, a wrong cleared up. And, and what I want to encourage you to do is to get down in the dirt and feel their pain. Feel what they're feeling. See what, they're, what, what, what is causing the offense and make every effort available to reconcile so that your relationship with God and their relationship with God is not going to be hindered. <clears throat> and again, I would just say that whether they pardon you or not, at least you've cleared the record before God. Now, why is reconciliation... Did I not give the tip? I'm sorry. The tip is, you be the first one to take personal responsibility to clear the offense. You take the first step. Somebody has to take the first step. And by the way, if the individual is offended, probably likely that he won't make the initial step. That's why Jesus said, you take the step. Because that person is already offended at, at, at the situation. <clears throat> Be the first to take personal responsibility to clear the offense. Now, why is reconciliation so important? Okay, some of this isn't working quite right, but anyhow. Uh, I read the verses again, especially verse 
6, it says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, I was going to wait to put the questions up there, but I had two questions to ask you. I wasn't going to show you the answers, but who, uh, if I don't go to my brother who is offended, who is going to end up in prison? I am. I am. And the question is, once you're in prison... How are you going to pay the last penny? Now, I'd like to have some response from you. How are you going to let pay the last penny if you're in prison? We'll come and visit you. Okay, serving the whole term. But it says you're not going to get out until you've paid the last penny. So how are you even going to make money to pay the penny? Okay? Explain yourself. I think you're on to something. I think what Jesus was saying is if you don't take the step you're, go, you're going to lock yourself in a prison that will be there for the rest of your life. Because the offended person, again, probably won't take the step to come to you. Now, does that mean that you will end up in hell? No, I'm not saying that. But you're going to be in a prison of your own making. You are going to be hampered. You're going to be hindered to some degree in your life. Whatever the gift is that you're bringing before God is going to be limited if you do not take the step to come and, and, and clear the wrong. There's the fourth one that I want to look at. And um, that is found in verse 27 to 32. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you but I say to you that whoever on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in her heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jumps into another subject. Furthermore, it has been said... Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, we look at this and say, okay, how does this apply to me? Well, the tip that I see in this is that to take radical steps to remove stumbling blocks to maintain lifelong commitments. Roots or traces of jealousy, envy, greed, selfishness, fear, pride, 
and many other negative and uh, conditions of our have brought many relationships to a tragic end. Sometimes, like I had said earlier, sometimes we're not even aware that some of these residual attitudes still rest in our heart. But they're there. And so my encouragement to you today is ask the Father through the Holy Spirit to reveal whatever lays dormant in your heart that you're not even aware of. Now, some of those things we are aware of, and we keep asking God for grace and power to overcome. But some of those things that I've been made aware of throughout my life, when I was younger, I had no idea that they were even there in my heart. And so I would just encourage you, even as young men and young ladies and, and others, even in older people, ask God to reveal to you what's in my heart that still needs sanctifying by the Holy I'm quite certain that God is delighted to answer and not a kind of delight that says you're a in the other people. How else can we find a cure for our illness if we're not even aware that we're sick? Now, just in the four, just in these four tips that I've given to you and the principles of Scripture, what is the common thread that tied all of them together? What comes to your mind? Is it responsibility? None of these have put the onus on the other person. It has always been about me personal responsibility. We take responsibility for the relationship. What happens when we shift blame? This is what happens. That's what happens. Now you say, oh, you're, you know, that's the extreme. I understand that's the extreme, but the principle is there. The principle is there we end up way out in left field when we don't take personal responsibility. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. I am so grateful, God. Even as I was studying these passages and these, these principles, I was just so grateful in my heart that you cared enough for us, for me, to just give us some life direction on how to relate to other people through the passage of Matthew 6, 5, 6, and 7. And there's other principles in Scripture. But I pray, Father, that we would take these principles and apply them to our hearts. Lord, for the times that we've failed, I ask your forgiveness. And for the times, the opportunities that you're going to bring into our lives up ahead, I pray for grace and strength and wisdom to meet them head on the way that you want us to, um, to face these kinds of tough situations. Give us your wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.